0: Father God, Father God, there's so much to be thankful for and uh, thank you, Father, for now as we've shared together here today in our fellowship, uh, reminding us of how much we have to be thankful for and that you reached out to us individually and personally with the word of grace and, and worked in our hearts to make that word of grace something that can change us uh, through its power because you've softened us in our spirits <clears throat> from the hardness of rocks to, as Paul writes, uh, the fleshly tables of the heart. And the Spirit of God has done that great work in us. So Father, we're so thankful, and that you continue to work in that way to to continue to instruct us by the word of your grace and to give us such great reason so often to utter up to you praises and thanksgivings for all that you have done and continue to do and all that you promise yet to do for us and to freely give us all of these things according to the riches of your grace through Christ our precious Savior. So, Father, we are thankful. Thank you for watching over us this last week with the many challenges some of us have faced and uh, for blessing us all, Father, uh, in ways that are just beyond our understanding. Thank you for protecting us in the storms. Thank you for limiting the damage when there has been damage from the storms. And we pray for a continued encouragement, Father, for those that have suffered loss in that area. Father, we uh, are so thankful um, for the relationships that you've enabled us to develop with others. Father, I pray for those that have gone off to college again here, some for the first time, Father. And I preserve each one of these. We've prayed for would uh, maintain their testimony before you father and grow in the knowledge of you uh, though there are many challenges the enemy is everywhere about and is surely uh, interested in leading them astray but father i pray for them that you sustain them and comfort them and it may be lonely indeed uh, to to speak up for your truth but father i i just pray that, that they would and that their testimony would be pure in these days and we do thank you for all of our opportunities father we're thankful that you encourage us also with uh, uh others who have gone before and written so well concerning uh your great work of grace in our lives as as uh, sometimes these articles written so many years ago and yet their power continues today Thank you Father for all those that maintain a witness whether it's over the internet and things that are written and published face to face as we share with others letters that we write uh, emails however it is Father that we communicate with others I pr- pray that uh, our word would be a word of comfort and hope and many uh, who have not known you, Father, would uh, come to know you in these hard and difficult times that our nation has entered into, and the world these days. So, Father, now as we open your Word, I just pray that uh, be a great blessing to us in Christ's name, and Amen. Continue on today with our study of Romans dispensationally considered. Today, we will get to the heart of this dispensational issue as we look more in chapter 1 of Romans and also uh, elsewhere in uh, the writings that we find there uh, in other letters of the Apostle Paul, where he writes about how God... uh, transformed his own life and set him on an entirely different course than what he had been on before. Um, and we'll see from the book of Acts uh, some history there, too. You remember how we began last time, though. I, I uh, took us to First Corinthians chapter 2 and read some verses there from chapter 2 of First Corinthians that dealt with words. Because our focus is on the word here, and has been for some time, we've looked at the themes that Paul addresses there in uh, in Romans by considering the words themselves. and uh, in First Corinthians chapter two, Paul writes about words, and this is what he writes, beginning in verse nine. But as it is written, eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now, that's actually, I'm sure, a much more amazing statement that we might even have ever thought it to be. Just consider what it says carefully. As it is written... I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. (laughs) Well, if it hasn't been known by man the depth and expanse, the scope of all the things that God has prepared. In other words, that God has planned for us We don't even know what they are, except in rather limited ways. And yet he says he's prepared them for us, so they're just waiting to be revealed. So this ought to be extremely encouraging uh, to the uh, saints of God, the, the children of God, the members of the body of Christ. As well, because Paul here is writing to the Corinthians about this, and though he does refer back to Isaiah, actually, it's back to Isaiah, I believe, chapter 64, where he refers, though it's just a reference, it's not a quotation, exactly. But the whole point of it is that, as he then goes on in the next verse to say, God has been revealing many of these things to us. He says, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit, for his spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. And then in verse 12, most amazing statement there, verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Then he goes on to make reference to the words that he was writing on the page and other words that have already been written. What does he say? Which things, in other words, the truth concerning the things that are freely given to us of God, which things we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Okay, so that's where we looked last time when we began looking at the first chapter in Romans. Well, Paul begins with those spiritual words there in verses one and following of that great letter. And uh, he begins with uh, his own name because he is the author. And he says so much about himself there. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Now, Paul refers, as we saw last time, to the gospel using a number of different descriptive names. It's not only called the gospel of God. This gospel is also called the gospel of Jesus Christ by Paul even in the first chapter. It's called the gospel of his son as well. Sometimes simply the gospel. He also calls it the gospel of peace in another place. And he calls it his gospel in chapter 16. And also in the book of Acts, he calls it the gospel of the grace of God. Well, praise God for the gospel given over to Paul. And uh, what I'd like us to do uh, today is to consider this gospel dispensationally. And uh, to do that, uh, I would like us to, first of all, I'll give you the outline in a moment, but first of all, I'd like you to look at what's written in another place. And I'll have Gail read that uh, in a moment. But that other place is in 2 Timothy. And, uh, but before we go there, I, I'd like us to just stop to think about how so much is dependent on we could even say everything but uh, so much for us believers is dependent upon what god is doing the question always should be what is god doing and if we do not know what god is doing then uh, we know little if anything but how we should live right because of course our lives should always be consistent with coordinated with in every possible way with what God is doing. If if they're not, then they're going contrary to the will and work of, of Almighty God. And that is not a good situation to be in. But if God's work changes over time, and we don't know about those changes, then we're really in the dark. And that's why it's so important to know the dispensational plan of God. And so here in Romans, we're going to see many indications of uh, that dispensational plan as we go through this book with this particular objective, to understand Romans dispensationally considered. And so uh, I would like uh, Gail, if you would please, Gail, to read some verses from 2 Timothy. Now, this is written just before Paul is martyred. It's the last thing that the Apostle Paul writes just before his martyrdom under uh, fair, under uh, Caesar Nero in Rome. So right at the end of his life, uh, he wrote these words. So, Gail, please read to us from 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 14 through 19.
1: Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as death a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity.
0: Thank you, Gail. So Paul exhorts Timothy to teach faithfully the brethren. He was apparently pastor of the church in Ephesus at this time. And Paul says, of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The context, context of the exhortation here is regarding false teachers. He mentions two by name, Hymenaeus and Philetus. Excuse me, <clears throat> clear my voice here. <clears throat> These two actually, he says, were denying the truth of the blessed hope he says that they were saying that the resurrection already occurred in other words not to be taken literally uh you don't look forward to it coming literally it already occurred in other words in some spiritual sense and he says that by this false teaching they had overthrown the faith of some so they were uh, totally confused about what god was actually doing And that was the problem. And so Paul says that that Timothy needs to study to show himself approved unto God. In other words, to be very, very diligent always. uh, And to be a workman that would never, ever be found uh, to be uh, off track in such a way that he would be ashamed. And then he says, rightly dividing the word of truth or cutting it straight, cutting it straight. Okay, and this has to do with misapplying scripture because uh, the teacher needs to know what God is doing. And if God's working according to grace and not according to some other plan and program that previously God was working according to, like law, for example, um, then uh, teaching needs to reflect that. And if it does not, then uh, many will be led astray and ultimately even possibly deny the lord as he says here right um so that's uh that final exhortation so we need to be very careful about uh, how we handle scripture always uh, noticing what god is doing because what god is doing uh, really is foundational indeed um, okay now Brenda, I'd like you to read those four verses that that we looked at last time where Paul begins the letter because that's then going to be the foundation for everything else that we talk about today. So, Brenda, uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 4.
1: Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised before by his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead.
0: Okay, thank you, Brenda. Well, there's so much here, and I'm going to give you a quick review Of what we saw last time. But uh, as we do that, realize there's a lot of truth hidden here that we have no possibility of understanding apart from being taught by the Spirit of God. And as uh, Lewis was sharing earlier, without the Spirit of God doing this teaching, we are in the dark. And uh, Paul does write a lot about his own life for a certain reason, therefore, and it's more maybe than you might have thought of. And we're going to consider that first this morning as we look into this letter. In fact, the outline is a simple one today. And that is, there are two points. First of all, Paul's focus on the gospel is dispensational. Hmm. And then a change had occurred. Okay, so we're going to look at the change. So Paul's focus on the gospel is dispensational. A change had occurred. And then secondly, Paul's focus on the gospel is dispensational. Romans 1 reveals it. You might have been reading Romans 1 a long time and not considered dispensational changes, but... They are hinted at everywhere there, and we will see more about that this morning. It'll be our major focus, okay? But it's, it's hinted at even at the beginning here in these first couple of verses that Brenda just read for us. It's hinted at, or in fact more than hinted at, in verse 1, the very first verse of the letter, where Paul says he is a servant a slave, really, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, called an apostle. He didn't go off to university or seminary or something like that to learn how to be an apostle. No, he was called by God. And then he says, separated unto the gospel of God. So this was all the work of the Lord God that did this in Paul's life. So God was making a change in Paul's life, but as it turns out, he was making a change in many other ways as well. We'll look at that in a moment. But he started out with Paul and uh, changed his life. He took this sinner named Saul and uh, called him unto himself with a great and mighty power. And this was the resurrected Christ that did this. And Paul, therefore, is set forth to testify of that. Verses 2 and 3 and 4 summarize uh, the change that had occurred as well, but uh, in ways that will only be explained later in the letter. So here it's just a beginning of the letter. It's just giving a sort of a very high-level summary, (laughs) really, of how Paul saw himself in relationship to the lord and what is he said say here he says separated unto the gospel of god which he had promised before or afore by his prophets in the holy scriptures or really as i said last time who he promised before from the beginning uh, the seed of the woman had been promised and all believers had had a hope in in that amazing, that amazing promise given there right after the sin of Adam, which was that through the seed of the woman there would be ultimate deliverance, the enemy would be defeated, and somehow, in some way that's not explained there, the stain of sin which had come upon Adam and Eve and all those after them could potentially be eradicated forever, you know, through the seed of the woman. But he doesn't ex- say exactly how, except he does say, even back in Genesis, it would somehow be through the um, injury <laughs> that the uh, enemy, Satan himself, the serpent, as he's called there, would inflict on on the, uh, it says, on the heel <laughs> on the heel of the Lord Jesus while the Lord Jesus uh, just called there the seed of the woman uh, Israel's Messiah ultimately would inflict a head (laughs) wound in fact it'll be indeed ultimately sufficient to destroy Satan forever right and that will be inflicted on the evil one himself so that's all hinted at back in Genesis in those early chapters uh, very strongly, right? So Paul here refers to this, that uh, gospel of God is all about uh, Jesus Christ ultimately, right? Who had been promised by the prophets uh, from from uh, Moses onwards, right? And it says then concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. You see, the King James sometimes uses which, even though it's referring to a person, right? We would just say who probably today. But anyway, who was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, right? He was a descendant according to that royal line that came through David, right? Uh, and also then declared or manifested widely for all to see as son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Okay, so that's Paul's summary there, and everything else ultimately will be based upon this, okay? So the gospel is all about our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's go on and look at the first point today. Paul's focus on the gospel is dispensational. A change had occurred. So when there's a change in how God is working, the Lord God gives evidence of that. And and he gives incontrovertible evidence, evidence that cannot be denied. So we're saying that there's been a dispensational change. So how has the Lord marked that change? Well, we can say, as everyone always does, and we do as well, that uh, everything ultimately comes back to our Lord Jesus Christ in his death on on, uh, Calvary, right? offering up himself as the perfect sacrifice for all of our sins. And and then how the Lord God, uh, after three days in the tomb, gloriously raised him from the dead. But there's a lot more that was going on there. When he died, how did he die, and in what way, and for for what purpose, right, is a very large question indeed. And... uh, and then when he was raised from the dead, what was accomplished in that, right? It was certainly more than life coming back to this uh, broken uh, body that had been entombed there in the tomb of Joseph. Certainly a lot more was involved. Paul does hint at that in those first verses in Romans. Um, But he reveals much more later on here and elsewhere. But one thing that stands out is that Paul gives his testimony. Uh, Notice how even at the very beginning he says he was separated unto the gospel of God. Separated unto the gospel of God. Separated by God. Okay. Now, we want to read about that, though, and I, uh, because this is so significant. Uh, I said when God makes a change, he gives much evidence of the change. And so let's find out about that. Linda, would you please read about some evidences that God had given concerning a great change he was making? Yeah. And this is in Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. Linda? For ye have
1: heard of my conversation in the time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by grace, to reveal his son to me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither I went up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days.
0: Thank you, Linda. Now, there's a lot there. Uh, we we don't want to really spend too much time on it either. But you do need to think carefully about what Paul has written here. Okay. So here was a man. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He writes about his uh, past history there in uh, the letter, you know, to the uh, Philippians. Right. And uh, he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews he was a pharisee he was not just any pharisee but probably the leading pharisee of his time having learned what he knew of the jews religion from a man named gamaliel who was the most in, who recognized and extolled a teacher of that day so paul had prophet, it says here in the Jews' religion above most all others, right? Since he was even more zealous of the traditions of the fathers than others were. And because of that, he persecuted those who had already believed uh, on uh, Israel's Messiah, the Lord Jesus, right? Who had been gloriously raised from the dead, right? And uh, Peter and and John and and others had uh, been preaching the risen Christ for some time, mostly there in uh, Judea, right? And so Paul had been persecuting them to the death in many cases. But verse 15 shows a great change now is occurring and how God is working because it says here in verse 15, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, in other words, God was involved even in his birth (laughs) and called me then by his grace. When did he call him by his grace? Well, on the road to Damascus, right? So he was involved in Paul's life even from his birth, even from before. Paul writes... uh, in another place about that. So but the time came when uh, he called him by his grace and made him a, an apostle, right? It says here verse 16 purpose was to reveal his son in him that he might preach him among the heathen, among the gentiles. That's a big change to preach Christ among the gentiles, okay? and it says he didn't go back to talk to the uh, apostles uh, that were already there they already had 12 apostles right he didn't even go to jerusalem to talk to them about what this great thing that had now occurred the risen christ had appeared to him and given him a commission to go to the gentiles who oh, my but instead he went to arabia and we we read in chapter 22 of acts and chapter 26 about how the lord appeared to him and taught him and continued to teach him from heaven. This is the risen and ascended Christ teaching Paul what he needs to know about what? About what Christ is doing. Okay, what is Christ doing? And this all has to do with his grace and its abundance, of course. Eventually, he says, verse 18, after three years, he went to Jerusalem. Okay, to see Peter and the others. So that shows a great change in how God is working. And Paul, uh, through his testimony, revealed some things about what that change was all about. Now there's more. In Acts 13, this is some time n- later now, he finally gets, after being in Jerusalem and so forth, he finally gets back to uh, to uh, Antioch. Okay? And verse 13 Chapter 13, verses 2 through 4, read like this about another separation. So Paul was separated from his mother's womb by the Lord God. He was also um, called apostle. And now here it says in chapter 13 of Acts, verse 2, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Paul and Saul for the work wherein to I have called them <laughs> okay and when they had fasted and prayed they laid their hands on them and sent them away so they being sent forth by whom by the uh, by Barnabas and so forth no sent forth by the holy spirit they departed unto Seleucia and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And so this missionary journey begins. Okay? So the Lord has made a big change. He's raised up a new apostle, which is a dramatic and really quite shocking thing. I think we should see it sort of as sh- shocking because remember, the Lord already had 12 apostles and he had already given promises regarding those 12 apostles. That they should themselves go to the Gentiles eventually, right? To the ends of the world, you remember. But here, Paul is called, still Saul by name at that time, name had not having been changed yet, and he is sent forth to the Gentiles. And here, actually, practically speaking, the church gathered there in Antioch sends him forth formally along with Barnabas for this great work it is the holy spirit doing the sending holy spirit separated them okay through those believers in antioch okay so the lord's raised up a new apostle there are already 12 well, what's now going to happen we've got Twelve apostles there in Judea and reaching out to Jews. And if you read in other places, you'll see that they only went to the Jews uh, unless they had reason otherwise given by God. So they were uh, working under the assumption that had gone before, which was that uh, Israel would first be saved and then through Israel, the Gentiles. That was what the Lord had promised uh, before okay and that's what prophecy indicates too you go back and read prophecy okay so uh, they only went to the Jews and in Acts eleven nineteen, 19 you, you you might remember uh, that's what it states explicitly they only went to the Jews preaching the risen Christ Peter had to learn through miracles and signs, and that's found in Acts chapter 10 and 11, that the Lord God actually was going to save Gentiles now and was doing it independently of them. And that uh, has to do with, you remember, Cornelius, and then how Peter was called to Cornelius to receive the proof that God really was working now independently of the Jews in reaching out to Gentiles. And of course, that was absolutely critical. But otherwise, Paul would have been condemned even by Peter, James, and John, and there would have been no church as we know it today uh, ever formed. Uh, the church would just be a branch of Judaism reformed, as many think it should be, right? So Paul is sent out, and according to Those verses there that um, we find in uh, Galatians chapter 2 that I want Patty to read now, we see what what kind of a major change now has been made. So Patty, would you please read from Galatians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5?
1: Then, fourteen years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation, and communicated unto them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But that Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. To whom we gave place by subjection. No, not for an hour that the truth of the gospel
0: might continue with you. Okay, <clears throat> so there was a great challenge to the essence of the gospel of grace itself. And Paul was very concerned. He wasn't concerned that he might be preaching the wrong gospel to the uh, to the Gentiles. That's not what it means there in verse 2 where it says, Uh, He came to those who were of reputation, lest by any means he should run or had run in vain. The point of it wasn't that maybe his gospel was the false gospel. He needed to change it, to add the works of law. No, 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 no. It said they would continue to allow these false teachers to go forth into the Gentile lands and to uh, then lead astray the believers who had come to be saved through the preaching of grace there in those far cities right and therefore that his ministry would have resulted in no fruit that's what in vain means without a fruit without any fruit okay so that was the challenge false teachers had come forth from jerusalem and paul needed to make sure that the apostles in Jerusalem understood the change that God was making through his apostolic ministry. And this was the change that the Lord God was making, right? And we read about that in the next verses. Galatians two, verses six through nine have the, the concrete teaching on this subject. And what does it say there? It says, but, of these who seem to be somewhat well, these are the <laughs> what the apostles in Jerusalem, and the others there of these who seem to be somewhat whatsoever they were, it makes no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person, for they who seemed to be somewhat in conference, added nothing to me, but to the contrary, when they saw. That the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was was previously unto Peter, and was still, okay? For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me towards the Gentiles. So Peter was the leader of the apostles in Jerusalem, leader of the twelve, and they were ministering to the Jews. Circumcision, but God was using Paul with the Gentiles, okay? The uncircumcision. So verse 9 then seals it up. And when James, Cephas, in other words, Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go to the heathen, or the Gentiles, and they unto the circumcision. So we see a great change had taken place. And it's not simply a change in adding another apostle to go to the Gentiles, because remember, these 12 had been commanded by Christ to go to the Gentiles. But now they're saying, they're agreeing with Paul that considering the change that God has made, right? in setting up Paul as apostle of the Gentiles They will now restrict their ministry to the Jews. And it was a different message. Some of it was certainly the same. It was all based upon Jesus Christ. No question about that. But you can read in Acts 15 and also in Galatians 3 and see that the gospel of the circumcision required works. They required the works of the law to continue to be to be uh administered and and performed whereas paul goes forth with a message entirely separate from the law and that's why he writes about the law all the time and how the law is no longer applicable okay so there had been a great change indeed and we see that there now you should read the notes because there's a lot more there than what I have time to talk about here today. But I do want to go on to verses 16 through 18, and uh, because that's where we see in Romans 1 how Paul's teaching regarding the gospel itself was so distinctive. Okay, The gospel of the grace of God is distinctive. It's not the same as the gospel of the kingdom. Okay, which the 12 were still preaching only now it's after the resurrection. So, of course, not just looking forward uh, to Messiah coming someday, but he had actually come. And now the question was, would the Jews receive him in preparation for receiving ultimately the gift of the kingdom, which was promised to them always? So, Elizabeth, I want you to read for us these three verses that summarize the content of the gospel of the grace of God. Verses 16 through 18, Romans chapter 1.
1: For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men
0: who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Amazing. Uh, amazing indeed. Here is what we see as the content now of what Paul is preaching. Okay, This is the summary of it. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel I'm preaching, the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that b- believeth, period. <laughs> to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Well, the Jew first. In fact, Paul, we read last time from First Timothy, where he said he was set forth. Set forth the first of a long series of those who had saved be saved by grace alone, right, independently of works so uh but so to the Jew first, like Paul, he's our example in that, and also to the Greek, okay, and then verse seventeen, for therein meaning in that gospel, okay therein is the righteousness of God revealed. So therein, in that very gospel itself, the gospel of God's grace, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And he refers back there to, but not a quotation exactly, but it is a reference back to the prophet Habakkuk who wrote in Chapter 2, verse 4 This, the just shall live by faith. I was reading some other uh, famous commentators, and one of them, one of the most famous of all, is John Calvin. John Calvin wrote page after page after page after page about how Paul may have taken Habakkuk 2 4 out of context and misapplied it and then at the end of the pages of commentary by john calvin he says no he didn't take it out of context at all he understood it perfectly and then he goes on for page after page after page about what the just shall live by faith really means (laughs) i think that calvin could have shortened his uh, his commentary greatly <laughs> if he had tried. And in fact, in the notes, I put a hint as to how that could have been done. You can read that later after I post this online. But it is true. Habakkuk made a reference to the just living by faith. But in the context, it's all about, well, I'll, I'll let you go read about it. But Paul... Three times, at least if Paul wrote Hebrews, three times, both here in Romans and in Galatians and in Hebrews, he refers back to Habakkuk two four, okay, as the place where the very righteousness of God is displayed as the foundation for any human righteousness, because, of course, Sinners are not righteous before Almighty God. And so, who is the just? Who could he be saying here? The just shall live by faith. Habakkuk's writing all the way about the sin of man has taken over the world and will continue to do so and finally be judged by God, right? Uh, So, what does he mean when he says the just shall live by faith? Well, who is just but God? Himself. And who amongst humanity has ever been just but our Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect example of humanity without a trace of sin of any sort? And when did he live by faith? All throughout his life, but especially on the cross. He continued to live. By faith. If you'd like to have your eyes really open to this, listen to Herb Rausch's message entitled The Author of Faith by Herb Rausch. And it's all about this very subject. Okay? So it is Christ's righteousness that is imputed to us, and it is the foundation for our faith. And that's really what Paul means here when he says, Therein is the righteousness of God revealed. <laughs> it's from faith to faith. And our own faith is based entirely upon that, having been declared righteous in him, in our Lord Jesus Christ. His righteousness counted to our accounts. We had no nothing but sin, <laughs> And now we have his righteousness, and he had nothing but righteousness, but took upon himself all of our sin. Praise God. And that's in the context of the wrath of God revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men. And I want to start there next time, and I'll start out next time, Lord willing, uh, with that verse and have Lydia read it for us. Next time, when we continue our studies here. But notice that in these verses, Paul is hinting to the great dispensational change that has occurred in his apostleship to carry forth the gospel of the grace of God to all the world, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek, because therein. In that gospel, not through Moses' law, but through that gospel, the righteousness of God was revealed from faith to faith. Praise God. What a wonderful message. What a wonderful message indeed. Well, go and look at the notes where there is much more content than what we had time to share here today. And we'll continue there next time, Lord willing, as we considered. Consider Romans dispensationally. Praise God. Any comments or or questions today before we close in prayer? There were great changes made. Let me just say these three things, and then we'll close in prayer. Christ came into this world as the seed of the woman not as the seed of Adam, as the seed of the woman. If he'd been the seed of Adam, he would have had Adam's sin, but the seed of the woman. And through his perfect humanity, he became our perfect sacrifice for sin and for sins and then was gloriously raised from the dead for our justification. So all of our salvation, therefore, is by grace through faith without reference to the law and its required works. And apart from Christ's work, there is no salvation possible. Praise God that we have so much freely given to us through him. And the end of the story hasn't been written. Paul's letters only give us hints as to how much the blessing of god has been planned for us but he certainly gives enough to encourage us through life whatever our circumstances indeed whatever they may be so let's uh thank the lord let's go to prayer father god father god thank you for the great blessings of your grace and his wonders so great far beyond our understanding but you give us understanding by your spirit as you take the word and apply it to our hearts, that we might never, never forget it. And indeed, we'll be remembering it from all eternity, Heavenly Father, and rejoicing in the glories of your grace, as Paul has written in so many places. Praise your holy and heavenly name, Father, for such a great hope. And we thank you in his name. and. Amen.